I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey, what's up? It's Nick from Artist Republic, and you're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh, Rebel Radio is going down. What do you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the Rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. Today, I'm sitting with Nick Championi, the founder of Artist Republic, which he describes as a record label online. It's a, really a full suite of services to allow artists to really take control of their own careers from start to finish, from actually uh, making music to releasing it to marketing it to to growing their fan base and, and all of that. Um, I love this dude's energy, his vision. He's got, um, you know, a really strong uh, DIY spirit. That's a, a huge understatement. And we get into some great stories about starting businesses and figuring shit out as we go. And uh, a lot of stuff that we talk about on this show, Nick's bringing it all together. So let's get into it right now. Well, cool, man. Well, um, I'm just learning about Artist Republic. Seems really, yeah. seems like you're up to some really good stuff. I'm excited to dig into it with you. Same. Um, so I, I always like to start kind of at the beginning, uh, especially with music people. So, do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? Actually, I think the first record which obviously in my time wouldn't have been a record. Sure. Um, Music. The first CD I think I ever bought was a Linkin Park CD. Oh, no way. Uh, yes. I think, yeah, that was, I think that was the first CD I ever bought. Um, I remember the first, uh, yeah, the first record though that I ever got, the actual record um, was... These things happen by G Easy. I got the whole album on record. Okay. Um, my favorite is my favorite album of all time. Nice. Uh, definitely, definitely like his old stuff more. But yeah, no, that's 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 my favorite album of all time. Um, and which actually came out today. I think what is it? Twenty twenty one. Eight years ago now. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. To the wow. day. Maybe not surprising, but you know the the impact they had. Oh yeah, my music like those those first couple of records in particular were so massive, and the Jay Z yep. thing, and they, uh, yeah, it's it's cool to see that how their legacy has just you know continued oh, and gosh. and grown over time. Yeah, yeah, no, I still I still listen to them on a daily basis. They're my is they're that right? My, yeah, they're in my work playlist. Wow, I forget which. It definitely. I gotta figure out which album I bought. That's so funny. Yeah, I'll find I'll find it. It's um it was definitely one of the early ones. Um it was definitely Minutes to Midnight. Oh yeah. Nice. Yes, that was definitely the first album I bought by them. Um 
but you know, my two favorite albums now by them would be Hybrid Theory, um, and I'm probably will butcher this, but Meteora. Uh huh. No, that's right. Those 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 are my two favorites now that like, I look back on it. But at the time, nice. I was what when I bought Min- Minutes to Midnight, I was nine years old. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely. I think those early experiences, you know, yeah. they shape us, right? And and we uh-huh. have. You know, it's funny and, it, you know, I want to talk about your business, but, you know, I think yeah. the relationship we have to music, I think, you know, it changes throughout our lives. Yeah. And then it also changes, you know, as technology and culture moves on, yeah. you know, and so. No, I, no, I agree. I agree with that. And I think, you know, I'm definitely obviously owning a music company. I'm very genre agnostic. Sure. Um, but, you know, I think my probably favorite thing in, in music experience that I'm watching right now is. It's kind of going back to like what you said about Lincoln Park with like with the Jay-Z mashup is I'm a huge EDM nut. When I started mm-hmm. in concerts, I was ma- I, every concert I did was EDM. And right? um, yeah. And so now with the crossover of EDM and like metal punk, yeah. it's such igniting a child in me. Cause I'm like, you know, everyone went through their, you know, quote unquote emo phase in sure. my generation in like, you know, 2007 to 2012. And now I'm like back on it. I'm like, Oh my God, this is sick. Um, you know, uh, what was it? Elenium was one of my favorite EDM artists. And he came out mm-hmm. with, with, I, with, uh, I prevail. And I'm like, this is sick. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, no, that, that music experience, man. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, if I understand correctly, so you started a clothing business out of college. Was that was that, yeah, was that so, your first like uh, entrepreneurial venture? No, so the clothing business was actually, clothing business was a fun one. I ran that my junior year to senior year in high school. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah, I started, I started entrepreneurship young. I hosted my first concert at 14 and a half in uh, freshman year in high school. Um, oh, the show. So I, so yeah, so full backstory. So when I was in eighth grade, um, summer of my eighth grade year, I actually lost my dad to cancer. And so I got deeply involved in Relay for Life. And I'll never forget my freshman year, we were losing to this other team. And I sat down with my buddies and I was like, hey, we can't just do a bake sale. We can't just like go out there and knock on people's doors. We need to really make some money. And so I texted her, I said, hey, there's this old music venue in our town. Let's rent it out and let's throw a party. And that was when I learned my first lesson in business, which timing is everything. As I had it the same night as I had prom, 10 of my friends showed up. <laughs> and oh, wow. uh, yeah, so I went back to school. Everyone knew about it. Went back to school on Monday, extremely embarrassed, you know, laughing stock of the school through a failed mm-hmm. party. And I was like, I'm going to show all these kids. So I came back the next year. I bought a hundred pounds of neon paint powder and okay. hosted the largest paint party that anyone's ever seen. I sold it out in about a week. Oh, Got wow. banned from the music venue for life. And, uh, but may, I remember sitting there at like the end of the Imagine what that must've looked like. (laughs) It was, it was gnarly. (laughs) Uh, but you know, I remember sitting there at the end of the night, I, I, you know, we made about 10 grand to donate and I was like, this is what I'm doing. Um, and that's what I did the rest of my high school. I hosted about 80 concerts by the time I graduated. Um, I had the clothing company on the side. Um, and really that was where I learned a lot of my entrepreneurship, you know, concerts really taught me how to manage a team how to promote, how to sell tickets, how to run margins. You know, concerts have zero margins. Sure. Um, taught me how to save money. Um, on the East Coast, we have this thing called snow. And yeah. I didn't really realize that when I first started hosting concerts. Sure. And I was spending money because I was doing concerts every two weeks. I was spending money. I was like, oh, this is great. Then I had my first concert get snowed out. And I'm like, oh, no. Then I had the next one and then the next one and the next one. And I went oh. two months without any concerts. And I'm like, wow. I'm broke. I I was like, I had $2 in my bank account. I was like, I can't ask my mom for money because she wants me to get a real job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, I learned all that stuff and yeah, I launched a, I launched a clothing company with some of my buddies for fun on the side. Um, we actually had to shut that down because we got a lawsuit. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I got my first season desist at 17 and my first lawsuit at 18. Um, nice. you know, Good it was get that out of the way. Yeah. Get it out of the way call it a day, move on. Um, and no, I learned a lot from those. And then, yeah, I went to, I was lucky enough to go to school up at Bryant university of Rhode Island. And there I dived in, I launched a marketing company, um, for music artists and I grew that quickly in like nine months. And, you know, it kind of culminated with my experiences from the clothing company, from, you know, doing concerts and the marketing. I was like, 
the music industry is really screwed up. <laughs> and I sat down with my buddies. I said, I don't know how to fix it because for the hundreds of millions of independent artists across the world, if I create a management firm to help these artists get the resources they need, I'm just adding to the problem. Sure. And he looked at me, he said, Nick, build a software. And I was like, yeah, no, you're right. And, uh, and that was kind of the genesis story of, you know, kind of my entrepreneurship career, but also artist public. It, it came out of that sure. idea of there's so many artists that just need resources. And the most inefficient part of the music industry is the humans. Um, as sad as it is to say in some parts for the masses, um, mm -hmm. it's inefficient, you know, it works for the post Malones of the world that need it. Right. But you know, for the hobbyists that don't, they need something to, to give them that kickstart. Yeah. So when you say, you know, starting a management company adds to the problem to find the problem. Yeah. So the problem that I see is that you have a hundred million plus independent artists across the world from the United States to Nigeria, to India, to Ghana, you know, yeah. everywhere in the world, there are independent artists and music every single day is becoming easier to enter and create music. Um, you know, as products get cheaper, as, you know, simple devices enable you to create music easier, all that stuff. But what has never changed is the resources to actually get your music out there. You know, you can't independently distribute to Spotify. You can't just call up Spotify and say, I want to get my music out there. So which means you're going through an independent label, going through a distributor, you're going through a record label. And but then it comes back to, okay, who do I choose? And, you know, all these different problems come in and a lot of artists at the small scale that are, you know, a small time person, they're working a day job at McDonald's, they're trying to do this on the side. They don't have the time to like know to scroll through 8,000 websites on Google mm -hmm. and they only have about 200 bucks a month to spend. And so they get trapped in the cycle of, I don't know what to do. I don't have a lot of money, but I'm talented, but I want to get out there, but I don't know what to do because right, right. the music industry is designed for an artist to meet, you know, me and you. And we say, Hey, I like you. Let me go introduce you to my buddy who owns a record label, or let me go introduce you to my buddies, a part of Lincoln park. And we'll help you. Like that's how the music industry is designed. Right, and right. what I realized though, is those small artists, they can't get us to talk to them because they don't have enough money to pay us to give them us their full attention to get the value we would deliver. And they're not big enough for us to sign royalty checks. And so how does a small artist get the resources they need in a world where they don't have royalties to bring to the table? They don't have enough money to pay you for your time. What do they do? And that's when I realized I said the model of a record label works, having everything in one place. So what if we just brought that to the internet and created a website where an artist could sign up and get every single resource they needed in one location? They could never leave Artist Republic and they knew, all right, I need to produce my music. What do I, what am I going to do? And we say, let's start with the beat store. Do you have a beat? Okay. Look through our beat store. You ready, you ready to get that done? Okay. Mix and master it, blah, 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 blah. You want to get it mastered? We got our mastering engineers. You want to get someone on a feature? We have a collaboration system. And then when your song is done, it's like, you want to distribute it? Okay, we got you. Here you go. And then it's like, when it's out, here's the things we recommend for marketing. And when your song starts, you know, accelerating and stuff like that, we think you're at the point where you can actually host a show. These are the venues in the area that we suggest, you know, all that different stuff all in one place is, you know, fixing that problem in an efficient manner that actually fixes the problem. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love that. And I think, you know, the, you know, I was, I was on a call this morning with a pretty big manager and he was saying, you know, um, the majors, he said, are, are still not very good at anything except for their top tier artists, right? And, and yeah. you know, they're all sort of trying to pivot on, oh, is the right word. I, I don't think it's a true pivot, but they're trying to offer these like label services, mm -hmm. you know, this kind of a la carte model. And I think it's interesting that, you know, it's kind of what you're saying, right? That's still all human powered. It's still down to, a, you know, a product manager having the bandwidth yeah. to go figure out what does this particular artist need, which, you know, they, and, and what labels have traditionally been good at is, you know, we do this one thing over and over. It works X percent of the time. And when it works, we just keep throwing money at it. And when it doesn't, we pretend like it never happened. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that this sort of like, 
a la carte or or like uh, personalized um, services that artists can kind of mix and match, at, you know, to suit their own needs is really interesting. Exactly. And I was actually had an interesting conversation with someone that was a EVP at um, one of the major labels and he left to start an independent backed company. And he was saying to me, he's like, the reason I left is that I realized that a lot of artists are coming to label solely for a check. Sure. They get that check and then they're like, okay, now I can go run my career. Right. And he's like, when I realized that, I realized that they can do it on their own with platforms like artists public and stuff like that. The only thing yeah. I'm missing is the check. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that's a big key. Um, and I think, you know, that's where we're at in this world of, of kind of pivoting away from that, where, you know, we've seen it in other areas of the industry with like creator empowerment and individual empowerment, you know, how, how foreign is it? I mean, I guess it's not foreign for my generation, but you can probably, you know, comprehend it a little bit better than I am, but the ability to invest from an app, mm-hmm. <laughs> like anybody can trade stocks nowadays, Sure, you know? Anybody can just download Robinhood and sell a stock. Anybody can become famous on TikTok with just good content. You know, this mm-hmm. individualism empowerment has been rallying across the entire industry and it hasn't really hit the, the music industry yet. And that's where it's just starting to transition on the music industry side of people being like, you know what? I can do it without a label. I can do it. Um, and that's, that's going to be intriguing to really see how that plays out. Yeah, it's interesting you say. I mean, I, I can relate to that. Um, I also, you know, I come out of, you know, professionally and, and as a fan, you know, I came out of, mm-hmm. you know, I came up in, in hip hop and dance music, which to some extent have always operated yeah. independently, right? Like, uh, you know, NWA got laughed out of every record label before they, you know, Easy started his own thing and, you know, changed history, right? And there's, yeah. stories over and over of that and so I think it's um you know I guess my point is like the seeds of that have always been there right yeah. and that that independent spirit has always been what's driven music forward um mm. but the tools now you know it's it's so much easier for everybody right yeah. and um you know not everyone had the drive to like you know climb up every hill themselves yeah um but, you know, I found that as a manager, you know, in early in my career, I, I had a management company and, and was like, you know, I quickly learned that you're, no matter what business you're in, you're in a do-it-yourself business. Yeah. Right. That if you're, if, if you, you know, I initially thought that my job as a manager was to get deals for my artists and then, and then the rest kind of takes care of itself. Right. And you have this big team and they have these giant buildings and fancy offices and so of course they're going to do everything else you know that they promised yeah. you when they were trying to sign you and you know it didn't take too long to learn that's not the case and and the yeah. day after you get you know a deal signed is is when the real work starts um so yeah that, that's really interesting what you know going back you, you you talked about you know you know as a promoter you really learn to to market to get mm-hmm. the word out um what does that look like for Artist Republic? What what what's driving your growth? What's the what's the number th- one thing you're doing to attract uh, new users? I mean, in in full transparency, I think the, one of the biggest things we we are clearly doing is you know paid advertising across mm-hmm. you know social channels, Google, and stuff like that. We are very dominant on Facebook and Instagram. Um, mainly just because I think we have one of the most unique brand voices in the music industry and it's resonating. Okay. Um, you know, we, we, we actually literally launched ads last week that are memes making Mm. fun of the music industry and they're performing insanely well. And, you know, stuff like that, that's just a very unique brand voice that we want to identify with the artists and make it feel like, look, we're on the same side, Mm -hmm. you know, we're tired of the scammers too. You know, there's so many artists. It's actually sad how many artists will comment on posts of music companies marketing and say, you know, even on ours and be like, yeah, none of these companies work, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, we come back, we're like, yeah, I know we're sick of it too. That's why we started it because 
I had so many buddies that got screwed over by other companies. That's why I started this because I'm in the same boat as you artists just off the bat are like, I'm going to get scammed Mm -hmm. and it's sad. And, um, you know, that's been something that's in our brand voice on every advertising thing we do of just like cut up the middleman. There's no fee. There's no hidden fees. There's no bullshit. There's no contracts. You know, we're, we're straight to the point of this is what we do. This is what we like. And, um, you know, this is how we're going to give you value. And so when you, you, know, that's when you been, talk about getting scammed, like, I, I, I think that's, tell, tell me about that, right? My sense is that that's deeper than what most people understand. Meaning, you know, you hear the stories about, you know, someone signed a really predatory label contract yeah. or their business manager, you know, stole all their money and ran out, but you're not, that's not what you're talking about. It's well, so one thing they hear those stories and they think it's going to happen to them. And then two, it's also just bad marketing companies out there. You know, we had in quarter one of 2020, um, we shut down millions of fake streams on people who distributed to us going to other marketing companies and using and not knowing, maybe not even knowing and going to a company, you know, you Google Spotify streams, Mm -hmm. there's going to be hundreds of companies that show up. Right. And you pay $20 for a hundred thousand streams. You buy them. You're like, so happy. Guess what? We find out about it. Your song's kicked off Spotify. Mm-hmm. And you know, then they're like, Oh my God, like, what did I do? I just got scammed by that growth company. I didn't know it was fake. Right. And right. that's the scams that's going on in the music industry. There's so much, so many, it's so easy for someone to make a Wix website, yeah. buy yeah. hundreds of phones, transfer IP addresses and just run a bot farm. And, you know, so many things that are happening in the music industry and artists just don't know how to tell. The other thing that's hard too is due to a lack of just general knowledge in the music industry. A lot of people think they're being scammed when they're not. Mm. Um, And so, you know, we actually had a problem a week ago where we actually were having, because of, you know, quarterly, we go through all the networks and address botting and stuff like that. And we were addressing it with Apple and we actually had in the middle of addressing it, we had a hiccup with Apple. And so about, you know, 5% of our songs for some reason for a week didn't get distributed to Apple and mm-hmm. we got them up, you know, we work with our Apple rep and artists, you know, were emailing us like, you didn't get my song on Apple. You guys are a scam. And it's like the DSP world is way more complicated than you think. You know, it's not just, you know, stuff like that. Or even we released our streaming reports for everyone to get royalties last week. And someone was like, I had a hundred streams on my song and you guys only are, you know, paying me for five. And it's like, well, yeah, because the other 95 weren't legit. Right. Um, You know, sorry, the streaming network shut down those other 95, whether that was you streaming it on repeat doesn't Mm -hmm. count. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so, I think there's kind of the, the, the three kind of scams, the story scams, the actual scams and the, the lack of understanding and mm-hmm. artists just automatically mm-hmm. then pivot to the first two and be like, this is a scam. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the scamminess of the music industry. Sure. sure. Um, so you offer a you know, pretty broad set of services. Yeah. Um, tell me about, well, First of all, is there is there one thing that that people use more than anything else? Is it is there like one thing that's driving all that? Or no, we're pretty split. We're pretty split. You know, we really promote to people that it is a three hundred and sixty platform. People okay. come to us for that three hundred and sixty ness. Um, so it is pretty split. You know, obviously our distribution subscriptions kill it. Um, you know, unlimited distribution for ten bucks a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's been killing it. You know, our marketing resources have been. Um, a big one for us recently is we acquired a company about two months ago called featured X, um, which is a collaboration system. So it's massive in the metal world. There's everyone from, you know, red jumpsuit apparatus on it, to ice nine kills to all those people are on it. Um, and you know, that's a big collaboration system where you can basically pay, you know, the singer of ice nine kills to be on your next record. Mm -hmm. Um, that system's been killing it. Um, you know, our beat store is given some people run for their money. We actually released a system on there where we actually have in-house producers and we actually have 99 cent beats. So oh, like wow. if you're just starting out and just want to license a beat, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's 99 cents up to 500,000 streams on that beat. So, Crazy. you know, for people that just starting out, it's like, these are high quality produced beats. We pay the producers in-house mm-hmm. and we just want to help you get that start. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's definitely a broad range of things. Nice. Is it, you know, typically, you know, we think of the music business as a hit business, right? And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you launch a company, you're waiting for one of your artists to break yeah. or something like that. And then, and then the floodgates open. Is that, is that the same with you guys? Is it, is it like, you know, you, you're placing, I mean, you're not really placing bets on individual yeah. artists, right? But is that the same thing of like, <clears throat> you know, if one of our artists really breaks out, that's going to like change economics for us? I mean, sort of, not really. I mean, our goal is to deliver value not just, you know, live off of an artist succeeding through us. Um, And I'd rather deliver value for 10 bucks a month to a hundred million artists across the world and give them the start than you know, have all my bets on one artist succeeding. Um, Because, you know, from that, we're creating what I call a a massive change in the music industry through empowering what I call the music middle class. Though the, the music middle class never really existed before, you know, really 2006, 2007 with the rise of music tech. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are guys that, you know, make $1,200 to $5,000 a month off of their music career. They don't have a job and that's just Mm -hmm. what they do full time. Mm -hmm. And that's the future of music is, you know, I got a lot of buddies in the music middle class and they are perfectly happy. They're probably not ever going to be famous. They're not going to make it big, but you know what? Mm -hmm. They do 500,000 monthly streams. They live comfortably. They go on tour and they do what they love every day. And mm-hmm. platforms like us then empower them to continue to do that. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's great. We have the hits, you know, we've had a couple of people that have blown up through the platform, gotten signed and, you know, it's been great, but we also don't want to claim any responsibility for that. You mm-hmm. know, that's your career, your content did it. We were just a catalyst to help you get there. Um, right. And so I think that other unique view that we have is definitely, you know, empowering for a lot of artists. So you talked about the, you know, the idea of automating parts of an artist's career, mm-hmm. right? Which obviously for the scale you're talking about, you know, you can't have, you can't service a hundred thousand, yeah. you know, of anything uh, by hand, right? Yeah. Um, so what does that look like? What's, what's, um, you know, what's been easy to automate? What are the parts that are still really, you know, difficult or that are, or you're not going to be able to automate? Well, so I can't say too much on it because we're still in, you know, the early phases of automation Um, because basically the reason a lot of music tech companies haven't been able to automate is the music tech world is an interesting spot in the music industry in general where there's no record book. There is no central database. And so, you know, you can automate bank accounts because or like QuickBooks, for example, because you have a bank record. But Mm -hmm. the problem with automating a music artist is there's there's no bank record yet. And so basically what we're in the phase of right now is building those records um, and getting mass amounts of artists on and awesome partnerships with other major companies and building that record book. Um, then once we build it, we're adding the auto, uh, you know, automation on top of it. And okay. that's going to be the big key is, you know, across the board, um, you know, we want to help artists easily automate their career from, you know, one of the first ones we'll be rolling out is when you distribute through us within the next, you know, six months, you will have an, you can choose your budget and you'll have an automated marketing system Mm -hmm. based on how much you want to spend and what size of an artist you're at. So Mm -hmm. we know, you know, you're not that big or you're massive. So we can actually, you know, kind of contribute of like, is it more about getting, you know, listeners on it immediately? Is it more about growing a steady fan base, you know, and building that marketing through AI. So when, artist releases a song and they're like, I want to spend 400 bucks on marketing. They put 400 bucks and our system just runs. Right. And, you know, all that stuff across the board is where we want to get to because at the end of the day, an artist signs a manager because they don't want to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. And sure. so we want to make sure that we can be their digital manager. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you're talking about the record book, right? So there's yeah. a lot of companies kind of betting that, you know, the blockchain is going to, is going to, serve as that record book, right? Or, or the foundation yeah. of it. What, you know, what's your take on that, right? Like I, I take it, you're not a blockchain business. You know, how is that? Yeah. How, how are you looking at that sort of like record keeping, um, especially in an environment where I know some of the data is pretty obscured? So 
I mean, I'm, I'm not against blockchain. I think it can be worked very well. The only thing that I don't like about blockchain is it's slow. It's mm-hmm. heavy. Um, mm-hmm. It's complicated as all hell to integrate. Um, and so with that, though, comes the, the question that I always say to people, which is there is the ability to over-innovate. And people forget that. You know, I always say the line of, you know, Tesla created a good car. They created a new car, but they didn't create a new wheel. Right. So at some point we have to say, don't make a new wheel. You know, we don't actually need blockchain to make a better record book. We just need every company to stop having, you know, a, you know, spat with each other and just communicate. Um, right. You know, I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago with, with a company and, and the CEO was on the call and he asked me, he's like, Nick, this is just point blank. Why are you communicating with us? He's like, we, we are direct competitors. I was like, I know, I know we are, mm-hmm. but you have data that I want and I have data that you want. And if we work together, both the artists and everyone in the music business wins yeah. and we're not making money off of it. It's just, let's build a connection between our companies to pass through data. And for the first time ever, we'll be able to have data records that no other company has ever shared before. And the reason they haven't shared it is because everyone's like, no, no, it's mine. And, but the artist is losing at the end of the day. And, you know, I was talking about this with my distribution team. They were like, you know, how do I know if someone actually has a copyright license for a song? I was like, you don't, genuinely don't. Um, sure. You know, me and you could release a song and I could agree to remix it. And we could sign a napkin and that's our agreement. And, yeah. you know, no one's going to know that. And so, you know, if we just made a central record book where we could share license agreements, wow, that would be massive. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need blockchain for that. We just need to build a database. Um, yeah. You know, simple things like that can be simple fixes. And I think, you know, our goal in the long term is to definitely be that company, to like bring people together and say, like, stop, <laughs> please, sure. because the artists are the ones losing. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think it's, you know, that is so... Uh, you know, I, I've been in, involved in the music business for 30 years and that yeah. is so like counter to the way that, uh, you know, traditionally the industry thinks, yeah. you know, I was, I was with, you know, probably 10 years ago. So before, like, uh, <clears throat> before the industry had turned around when they were really in the thick of like just losing millions of dollars every year, yeah. you know, I was with one of the chairman of the the major labels and I asked him, you know, do you do you see the other labels, you know, are they really competitors? And he was like, not really, you know, sometimes we're going after the same deal, but, but not, we're not really competitors in the true sense. Right. Cause it's not yeah. like you either bought a Ford or a Chevy and you're not buying another car for four years. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, you know, that's cool. So are you guys working together to kind of solve this industry problem? Do you ever go sit down with, you know, the, your counterparts at the other? And he was like, no, and I was like, well, I don't get it, right? Like, you, if you, yeah. you should either be fighting each other, you know, or you should be working together or some combination yeah. of the two. But it's just, you know, culturally, it's just not how those people think. And I think it, it's yeah. going to take people with, with, you know, a bit of fresh perspective uh, yeah. to, to change some of that. And that's, and that's why we actually, because we actually started, like, a perfect example is our distribution side. I went to every major independent distributor. I pitched them the company and I said, I want you to be our distribution partner. Yeah. Every single one turned me down. I said, really? all right, cool. And so I went off and I built my own independent distribution label. And now, sure. you know, sure. we're going back to all of them and saying, who wants to work together? And now they want to talk because mm-hmm. I actually became so competitive with them. They're like, okay, I'll get the, I'll, I'll talk to this kid. Sure, once that's been our plan deals. from the start. Yeah. Right. That's been our plan from the start. You know, we'll make enough noise and then we'll bring everyone together. Because I always start that out with everybody I talk to. I'm not here to compete. You know, we're going to be the centralized resource of every single company. And if you want to play, come play. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't, that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, but but we're going to be all be playing over here on on you know a massive field with hundreds of millions of artists and you know really making a change. So talk to me about that community. Tell tell me about how you're. You know, how do you? engage with the community of artists how do you how are you getting feedback what do you how do you incorporate your feedback into you know what you're building yeah so i mean we're we're very active with feedback between you know and also just engagements you know we have 
I would say in, in the most modest way, I think we have one of the best content strategies of, of music tech companies right now. Um, between, you know, we have our own podcast that we bring every week. We just bring artists on, whether they're on featured X, when they're on artist public, whatever, we just bring artists on and we just talk about the artist's experience. So other artists can learn from it. Um, you know, we have tutorial series across the entire board of just finding out where artists are having pain points, launching tutorial series that are actually done by other artists. So like, it's cool to have other artists teaching other artists how to use us. Um, you know, everything from, at the end of every transaction, we have a thumbs up and a thumbs down. Um, you know, if you liked it, you can leave us a review. If not, please give us a comment. You can detail it out specific parts that didn't work. You know, mm-hmm. we're consistently, you know, building all of that. And I learned, I learned that really through the concerts, through the apparel company and through my marketing company. You know, if you just deliver the most value and you create kind of this cult following, nothing you can do will, will make them leave. Um, you know, no matter if you wait, raise your price a dollar, you know, whatever, they're going to stick with you because there's so much value there. And that's just, you know, a big piece of us. And it's only going to get as stronger as we grow is, you know, making sure that every single artist is heard from, whether they're DMing us, messaging us, emailing us, they can text us. They can, we just got phones installed in the office. They can call us, you know, all that stuff of just like, Mm -hmm. we're here to actually like be humans. Do you think it's something you've changed or added to the business based on feedback from the community? One big thing also, I mean, it's gone through so many changes. We've moved, we've added tools for it. We've moved tools. We can bind systems. Um, I mean, one of the big ones was when we launched distribution, it was a la carte. So it was, you know, pay five dollars seven dollars or eleven dollars you know five dollars for a single seven for an ep and eleven for an album um and then we were like you know we were trying to really figure out with everything going on with DistroKid, we were like you know how do we build a subscription and then um you know we did a survey and we surveyed about three thousand people on the platform and 60 percent were like we want subscription and Mm -hmm. so i just sat down one of my buddies i graduated with was an actuarialist so i called him i was like hey need you to come to the office we got i I need, I need someone that actually knows statistics over here in math. Um, <laughs> nice. And we, you know, figured nice. out a price that worked and we're like, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so we started running that and, um, you know, really growing it from there. But yeah, you know, that, that was a big change. We do those, you know, surveys every month. We figure out, you know, little bugs or little things like even just moving buttons, you know, millimeters mm-hmm. to the right, you know, changing where something clicks, where it doesn't click. Um, how something loads, you know, we found out the other day that when people were looking through our, our network of playlists, when they clicked the playlist, it opened up Spotify in the, the same web tab. So mm. then when they went back to ours, but they lost right, their order. Right, right, right. And yeah. so we're like, you know, come on. And so, you know, all those things we go through on a daily basis of just ripping through um, and, you know, so much credit to my business success managers. They're that team of just, this is all they do all day. They just nice, eat, nice. sleep, breathe, you know, perfecting the platform. Yeah. Um, so thinking about your team and, and, you know, you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being a promoter taught you to manage people. So uh, what have you learned? So give me some secrets to, to managing people and, and, and what's the, what are you still learning? What's the hard part of that right now? The hardest, I can start with the hardest part. The hardest part for me right now that I always battle with, I think on a, on a daily basis is uh, perception. You know, when employees come into your office, they work there nine to five. Mm-hmm. And so they see you as a boss there nine to five. What they don't see is, you know, last night, me waking up out of a dream about a pitch deck and redesigning my pitch deck at 2 a.m. What they don't see is, you know, coming in the office at 6 a.m. There's no one they got there at nine. You were right. Um, And so the perception of when they're there from nine to five, if, you know, you're not 100% doing work, they may not think you're doing work and they may copy you. So that's Mm -hmm. one big thing is perception. Um, Mm -hmm. But now in the, the leadership style, I'm very laid back leader when it comes to, you know, things. I always believe as long as you're getting your work done and you're getting it to your best ability, I don't really care how you do it, when you do it, well, when, as long as hidden by the deadline, but how you do it and right. in what, you know, fashion you do it. You sure, know, we sure. don't have set PTO. We don't have, you know, I want you in the office at least 80 to 90% of your time. But if you want to go work from LA for a week, have fun, be my guest. As long as the things that you want to get done this week still get done. Right. Um, 
you know, like two weeks ago, I took a couple of my interns. I was like, yeah, let's go to Walmart. We went and bought Nerf guns and basketball hoops, you know, be a little bit of a tech company, but do it on a Friday. You know, yeah. the work's still getting done. The work was done. You know, let's go have fun, you know, and also building an environment that is open to criticism. I think all my employees know that like, they can tell me when I'm being stupid and I enforce that in them. It's like, I think a lot of companies fail when employees feel like they can't talk to their boss or that it's their boss or their boss is right. Yeah. You know, half of my employees here are older than me, <laughs> you know, like guys, I could be wrong. I'm 22 years old. I'm still learning. Um, yeah. So let's be completely honest here. If I'm being stupid, tell me. Um, and then we'll, you know, work on it together or fix it. And so there's definitely a lot that I've learned and, and I'm still learning. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think the overall thing is just respect and a positive environment and, you know, leading by example, not by telling. And, mm-hmm. you know, even like we started the conversation, my employees needed, you know, an undistracted area. So I moved my office to a conference room and gave them my office, you know, mm-hmm. have, have your area. That's fine with me. You know, my experience with, you know, I think what you said that, you know, getting people to tell you that you're doing something stupid is a really, it's a really tough challenge. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's so deeply ingrained in our uh, just, you know, cultural, you know, business ideals about hierarchy and, mm-hmm. and all that. Right. And, you know, I find like you have to say that over and over and over and in so many ways and you have to be uh, you know, you have to like, demonstrate that you really want that yeah um yeah that that's that's a big one for sure yeah no, i'm with you on that one so it sounds like you've you started a bunch of businesses kind of just by jumping in yes um why is that a good idea and what and what's the you know if you were speaking to your your uh you know, at your, at your alma mater, it's a bunch of college yeah. kids. Like, is that what you would tell them to do? Like, don't, yes. you know, don't study it. Don't go work somewhere else. Just, just do it. So I actually have, I have a quote on my desk and the quote says entrepreneur is someone who jumps off a cliff and builds the plane on the way down. Okay. And it's the most accurate thing ever. I always tell people is if you spend too much time planning, thinking, or, you know, scheming about your idea, you're never going to do it because artist Republic started out when I, when I hired, when I was running my marketing company, it started out as I wanted a data tracking link for my clients to put in their bios. And I hired a developer. We had this cool idea. We got halfway through the idea and we're like, Oh, we should add a portal for the artist to log into. Then we got through that part. And then we realized that the data we were trying to collect from Instagram couldn't be collected. So we scrapped the first half. We're like, all right, this portal, what are we going to do with this portal? And then that's when all my ideas came together. And I was like, boom, artist public. But that came from just diving in. I didn't plan artist public. I just started and the ball started rolling. And that's been the same thing through the whole entire company. You know, I didn't have the idea for distribution subscriptions. I was just running through it. And I was like, you know what, we should do this. And, yeah. and you know, I never really understood my own company. And, and I think a lot of people don't until you really get to live it for, you know, a good 15 months, 18 months. Um, like I was talking to my VP of engineering, who's been with me from the start. I was taking out to dinner like a month ago and we were talking about the company. And I was like, yeah, ours published really just a record label online. He goes, Nick, hold on. I've known you for 12 months. And that's the first sentence you've ever said that actually makes sense to me. He goes, Artist Republic is a record label online. You just described your company in three words. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I never thought about that. I never thought about it as a record label online. Mm. And, you know, so yeah, my best advice for people is just do it. Now, on the other side of that, if you're in college, definitely do it. Because there will be no point in your life where you will have more freedom and less responsibilities than in college. You have, at the end of the day, if you if you invest all your savings, you have $10,000 in savings, you invest it all into your company and you lose it all. Cool. You don't have beer money, mm-hmm. but guess what? You still have a cafe that you get to go to is pay for your tuition and your student by your right. student loans. You still have a place to sleep from your student loans and you have college. And at the end, during the summers, you're staying at your parents' house. Um, and most colleges even let you stay on sometimes too. So at the end of the day, if you're in college, 
if you want to start something, start it there. Because as soon as you get out, you have rent due, you have car payments, you have electricity, you have jobs, you have food to pay for, you have all that stuff. Sure, you have $3,000 a month in expenses that you need money for. In yeah, college, yeah. you have $20 a week for beer. So, you know. How, how much do you think about, I mean, it's a good point, right? It's, there's, uh, there's things, you know, I'm always a big fan of, of creating low stakes environment either for myself or my, my staff, right. You know, it's how do we, you know, it's one thing to say, like, let's take chances, let's break stuff, let's whatever. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when the stakes are high, if you're right, then, you know, the year it's, that's so much harder. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, similar for you as you, as you're, you know, when you're a hundred people and uh, you have payroll to meet and you have investors to satisfy and you have all that, right. Some of those, you know, becomes harder to just jump off the cliff and figure yeah. it out as you go. Um, I wonder how much you've thought about like how how to make that sustainable. Well, so the other half of that is I love high risk. I love putting myself in uncomfortable positions and not giving myself a plan B because yeah. that's how I work. That's how I work better. You yeah. know, we're going into we're going into our our funding round right now, and and I've been up eighteen hours a day dealing with investors because mm-hmm. there is no option here, mm-hmm. you know, and at the end of the, at the end of the day, we either close the series a or we close the doors. There is no option. There is no backup mm-hmm. plan for Nick. There is nothing, you know, yeah. I'm not starting another company. This is what we're doing. And mm-hmm. I feel like there is something to be said about putting yourself in that high stakes, uncomfortable position where you're like, I can't fail at the end of the month. I have to pay rent mm-hmm. at the end of the week. I have to, you know, pay for my car. Mm-hmm. So, you know what, I have to work that extra 15 hours to get it done. And I think that's when you push yourself to that level of success that is needed to, you know, make it happen. You know, there's been so many times where through the course of this company, especially where, you know, high stakes have definitely, they take a toll on you. Um, and, you know, it's definitely taking a sure. toll on me at some sure. points, but I sit there and think, I'm like, this is the point where all my competitors would have quit, which is why they're not here. So if I just get past this point, then we're good. Yeah. Then I can get yeah. to the next point. And if you just put yourself in that high stakes position, you have that mindset, you're like, okay, you know what? I can do this because this is the point that everyone else would have quit. So if I say yes to this, sure. I'm good. I made it sure. one more step. No, I love that. I, I think, you know, there's definitely something to be said for just not being willing to die. Um, yeah. And, uh, and it reminds me of, there's a book I read, uh, I want my MTV and it's the story of MTV's history and, and what's, you know, what's notable about it is, is how many times they were like hours or minutes away from just being out of business Mm -hmm. and, you know, and they built this thing that, you know, changed the world forever. Um, yeah. so that's great. That's great. Well, let me get to a quick lightning round before I let you uh, get back to your, Oh, hell yeah. Um, so what's your favorite city to travel to? Favorite favorite city I've been in so far is Tampa, Florida. Oh, cool. My wife grew up in Tampa. I'd never been there, but I know that there's a lot of partying going on there. It was definitely a daydream. Definitely my best weekend in college. (laughs) Um, who's your favorite DJ? Uh, Ooh. Probably just throughout the course of history, I think my favorite DJ has got to be Dylan Francis, especially because we okay. also share a uh, share a birthday. So oh, I gotta nice. give I gotta give him. <laughs> right on. His um, I forget what they were calling it, but the, his thing he was doing uh, during the pandemic, his like yes. live stream thing was so much fun. Yep. Um, so good. It's great. What's I just gotta get artist book? public big enough that you know me and he'll actually know that we share birthdays. Nice. <laughs> That's a good goal. Um, what's the last great book you read or listened to? Yes, it was a book called Excellence Wins. Um, okay, it was by the it was by the guy that uh, started the uh, Rich Carlton. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, and it's just an entire book. You know, I think 200, 300 pages of just about his whole life and how he built an entire business and other people's businesses on just excellence. If you just provide excellence in this, 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 and this. Yeah. It always wins. Yeah, amazing. I love that. Um, what movie have you seen the most in your life? The Dark Knight. Oh, cool. 
Nice. I uh, I worked on that movie. Uh, I did I did a marketing campaign for that movie. It was super, a lot of fun. All right. Well, we're best friends now, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Um, who's somebody you haven't met who you've learned a lot from? Ooh, that's a, I haven't really met him. I've talked to them, so I'm going to submit the answer, but I'm going to go Gary Vaynerchuk. In my early entrepreneur career, I've definitely followed him a lot. It was cool to meet him, but I definitely, I definitely followed him a lot as, you know, gave me that initial inspiration to just stand out and do it. For sure. Uh, yeah, I've met Gary a few times and, and yeah, I wouldn't say I know him, but, um, yeah, but you know, he said something that I think about every day, which is, you know, he was talking about the, the love affair that our America's having or the world's having with entrepreneurs. And he's like, you know, an entrepreneur is, um, someone who gets up every morning and gets punched in the face for a living. So, and, uh, I think some, some days I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that one. Last question. If I worked for you, what's something I'd, I would hear you say over and over? What are you even doing? <laughs> okay. I rack, I, rack, I rack my employees all the time. I always tease them. Every time I walk in my office, what are you even doing? Nice. Um, you know, just consistent, stay on their toes. I'm looking around right now. I know one of them's working over here and watching soccer. Another one's working from a couch. I'll walk out after this. What are you guys doing? <laughs> That's cool. So just keep the mood seems, light. Seems like a fun environment. Yeah. Love it. Awesome, man. Well, dude, I appreciate this conversation. I'm excited yeah. to see where you guys take it next. It seems like you guys are uh, going to make some big changes in a lot Thank of people's you. lives, which is really cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely be following, following along, see what happens next. Thank you. Yeah, no, 100%. Thank you so much, man. I can't thank you enough for having me on. You know, that was Nick Champione on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. If you're an artist or know an artist, have them check out artistrepublic.com and uh, let us know what you thought. Hit, Hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you like. It's at Rebel Radio Net. We have videos from more and more of our episodes showing up on our YouTube channel. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.